Okay. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. So if you remember from last week, I said that Paul was beginning this prayer. He started to pray and said, for this reason, I, and then he got distracted and started teaching them some theological lessons again. Um, So this week is actually Paul starting again and completing his prayer. And this is what he says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him... Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It was worth waiting for. There's just a couple of asides that I want to um, just quickly mention before we get into actually dealing with the passage. Um, the first is that it's easy to see. Oh, I didn't move that on. I apologize. This is a, a quiz question uh, that's written. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. If you're of a certain generation, you might get that. If you're youngish, you may not get that. Um, I'm counting myself in with the certain generation. Um, this is obviously meant to be a test, um, I'm assuming, uh, of some sort of Sunday school or whatever. Or, but Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. What is love is the point of that. What is love? Because talks, Paul talks in this passage about the love of God. What is love? We've sung this morning, you call, you call me deeper into love, love, love. We're, we're exhorted not to stand on the edge of the ocean, but to cast ourselves into the, the sea of God's love, into the sea of God's will for our lives. And he said, we must love God above all things. That's what we're commanded to do in the scripture. What is love? Well, We're talking here about the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what your picture is. I was talking to someone this week. I don't know what your picture of Jesus is. Maybe it's one of those medieval representations. And by medieval, I don't mean, well, I just mean the time period. You know, they sort of, Jesus is quite pale looking. um, And he's got this sort of, looks like he's, you know, had the GHDs out and he's got perfectly straight hair. Um, And he's sort of got these piercing blue eyes, and he's got this aura of sun around him, and he's very, if you understand this word, foppish looking. He's sort of like, looks like he's sort of ethereally floating around, and I'm dishing out my love to you. Jesus was a carpenter. Now, probably the closest we've got to a carpenter in this church is Mr. Kemp over there. I was going to ask you, but I didn't, I was going to say, I've worked in an office probably for the last seven to ten years, so I'm, you know, sort of just like a little chubby guy. Pete is a carpenter. He's a, he's a, he's a tradesman. You, you know, if you're loved by Pete Kemp, you know about it. You know, if Pete Kemp, Kemp gives you a hug, you know about it. He's a big guy. Okay, Jesus was a carpenter. 
when he put his arm around people, when he put his hand down to lift up the lady who was being accused of adultery, when he sort of extended his hand and lifted her up, which I don't know, it actually says he did that, but you can imagine, you know, taking people's hands. It wouldn't have been these soft office hands. My brother it was a tradesman. He was a, a he was a carpenter. Um, one of my brothers, and he was used to make fun of how soft my hands were whenever we sort of shook hands about something, which is weird to do as a bro- brothers anyway. But you know, he didn't have soft office hands. He had carpenter's hands. Now Jesus was the perfect human being, but that doesn't mean he never you know got a splinter or missed a nail when he was hammering. You know, he was a, he was a a worker. He'd worked his life up to the point where he began his ministry. He'd been a hard-working man. When we talk about the love of God, we're talking about the love of a real man, a real bloke. Not just someone who's ethereally floating around a few inches off the floor and not experienced any of life. And another aside that we could say, that's what love is. So when you hear the love of God, don't think... Oh, you know, that means we're all going to sort of sit around a campfire and cuddle each other. It means this is the love of God. This is practical. This is, you need some help? Well, I'm going to put my hands in this mess and I'm going to push my hand through all of the grease and grime and grub and I'm going to get to the blockage and I'm going to rip it out and then, you know, the system will work how it's meant to. This is practical, earthy love. There's also in this passage, if, if you just, as a, purely as an aside, there's references, you can see this, or this beginning of an understanding of a Trinitarian God. I bow my knees before the Father, that you may be strengthened through, with his power through his spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell. The, the Trinity is being talked about. So if someone tries to convince you that the Trinity isn't legit, you can go, well, it's in the Bible. So, you know, show me that it's not from the Bible. That's a pure aside, but just I found it interesting when I was looking at it. So our passage this morning, we want there's two questions that we need to ask of the passage, I think, to interrogate this passage well. So we're going to ask these two questions, then we're going to walk through a few of the verses, and then I want us to ask ourselves a couple of questions. So what are the two questions from the passage that we're looking at? What are the important questions? Well, I think they're what and why. What does Paul pray, and why does he pray it? And there's two simple answers, and then we'll sort of expand on those answers a little bit. The simple answer to the what is that he prays for them to be strengthened. Strengthened for what purpose? So that they can grow in their understanding of God's love. And for them to be rooted and grounded in the fullness of that love. That's quite a weird prayer to pray, isn't it? I pray that you would be strengthened so that you can understand God's love more. I don't know if you pray that for yourself very often. Lord, strengthen me with the power of your Holy Spirit so that I can understand your love more. You might not pray exactly like that. Maybe you pray, Lord, help me through the power of your Spirit to understand your word more. That's probably more what we would say. But I think actually, that's probably if we're doing really well, we would pray that prayer. More often than not, we pray, Lord, strengthen me so that I don't lose my temper with my children again. Lord, strengthen me so that I don't do something at work that's going to get me fired because that person is so annoying. Lord, strengthen me because I just can't handle what's going on right now. 
Those prayers are actually all okay. If you're the annoying one, maybe you need to sort of dial it down a little bit and learn some patience. But praying, do we pray for ourselves to be strengthened with God's power, strengthened with God's power so that we can grow in an understanding of his love? Do you pray that for other people? What? He prays that they would be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit so they can grow in their understanding of God's love. And the simple answer to the why is so that from that position of grasping something more about God's love, being rooted and grounded in God's love, they'll be able to apply and live out all that he has taught them and is about to teach them. That's why Paul prays this. I'm praying this. I want you to know God's love. I want you to be filled with the Spirit, grow in an understanding of God's love, so that when it comes to applying what I've already taught you and what I'm about to say in the last three chapters of the book, you're not just going to be on a hiding to nothing. You see, these verses are actually, I believe, the pivotal section of the, the whole book. It often gets overlooked, this sort of weird little prayer in the middle, which is, you know, it gets, oh, the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the love of God. It's fantastic. This is amazing. But actually, these verses are key to the rest of the, the whole book. There's a change of emphasis that's about to take place in what he's writing. The first three chapters of this this book, the, the letter to the Ephesians and sort of the surrounding churches have been about God's, this overview of God's love. What he's done for us, what he's, he's created in this one new man, this new human society. Finishing with this amazing picture of God's church. I read that quote last week about, from John Hosier and I'm sure... Many of us were excited as, as that was being read out. I know for me, I was like, yes, this is, the, this is what the church is meant to be. This is what it's about. Come on. It finishes with this amazing picture of the fulfillment of the, the church as the, the sort of, this is what God's plan has always been. The church, come on, let's go. And we can be excited and think, yes, let's do it. Forget lunch. I'm going down the high street. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I kind of imagine Paul was a bit like that in his writing. He's writing and he's sort of going, for this reason, and then he sort of just gets to, the church. I didn't tell him about the church properly. Let me just write a little bit more about that. Oh, yes. Come on, the church. And it's easy in those moments to go, I'm going to emotionally respond to this thing. And that's sometimes appropriate and good. But Paul, what Paul does is really important. What he does in this book, if you're reading it as a whole, is really important. And it's very pastoral. Because it's easy when there's hype and excitement to rush people into things, to rush people into overcommitting and overpromising. And not from a bad place at all, from a really good place. The worship was just, oh, I just really felt the presence of God. I felt his love. I'm ready to commit my full salary to the church. Oh, hang on a minute. That's a lovely sentiment. 
but we probably need to talk about how you can wisely respond to what God's doing. I want to be on the kids' work rotor every week. I'm passionate about seeing the kids learn about Jesus. I'll do it every single week. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. If you're doing that every week, you're never going to hear a sermon. You know, who's feeding you? Let's talk, let's be wise about this. It's easy in the hype of moments to go overcommit, overpromise. And not from a bad place. That's a good, that's, it's good to want to serve. It's good to have that stirring. Oh, I have to do something. I have to be involved in this. We can be in that place, can't we? I've heard this message and boy, I'm fired up. I'm ready to do it all. Paul doesn't exploit that. He uses it to set them up for a win. I don't know if you know that expression. I try and uh, think in terms of setting people up for a win or a loss. You know, you can you can set people up, can't you, to have a victory, or you can set them up to have a really difficult time, and actually, they're probably not going to succeed in doing that. You know, if I say to you, "Oh, at some point, Andy, I'm going to ask you to do the worship on a Sunday," and then it's you know. 28 past 10 on a Sunday morning. I go, oh, Andy, do you remember when you said, yeah, you're really keen to do the worship? Now's your chance, mate. That's setting Andy up for a loss, isn't it? Now, Andy would be able to do that because he's that kind of guy. Um, but that's setting people up for a loss, isn't it? If we want to set people up to win, we go, this is, this is the thing you've said you do. You can do it then. Give them time to prepare. And Paul sets up the Ephesians... For a win. He takes this, this, the church, I want to be involved in the church. I'm excited about being involved in this. And he says, and this, now, now you're all, now I've got your ear. This is the eternal plan of God. Let me lay something on you. He sets them up for a win. So we're going to walk through this passage just very quickly. And then I want to ask us a few questions. I just want to make a few comments about the different verses, the things that Paul's doing here, things that he says. He says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now he almost distracts himself again. I don't know if you see that. From whom every family is named. He's still talking about the fact that Jew, Gentile, everything, everyone was created by God. He almost distracts himself again because that's the kind of guy Paul is. You read his other letters, he'll be talking about something and then he'll mention the name of Jesus or he'll talk about the church and suddenly there's this great paragraph, often very little punctuation, where he's just, oh, God, oh, the church. He almost distracts himself again, but he doesn't. He says, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul prays in humility. You look at the first three chapters of this letter, he's talked... Just in the previous verses that we looked at last week, he's talked about coming through Jesus Christ with confidence and boldness to God. And yet he says, following directly on from that, I bow my knees before the Father. I have confidence, I have boldness before God, and yet I bow my knees before him. He prays in humility. He's striking a balance between an attitude of, I can approach God. He's made himself knowable. And... He is the God who created everything. He is awesome. 
He is my father and he is awesome. He's striking that balance. Accessible father and ruler of creation. That's who we come before. And it says in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul just talked about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then he's saying, now from the riches of God's glory, which are unsearchable, may he give you power. May he give you power from his unsearchable riches through his spirit. That's how he does it. That's how he empowers us to follow him, through his Holy Spirit. If you want to be strengthened in your relationship with God, if we want to be strengthened in our relationship with God, as we've talked about this morning, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have, and I don't mean just one-off. You know, I was filled with the Spirit in 1985. That wasn't me, I was one. Um, but, you know, it was back then, I remember it. I remember it happening, it was fantastic. Paul talks about going on being filled. We're like a leaky bucket. Constantly, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute sometimes. Lord... When Millie was young, there was a, there was a, I remember one evening when we were trying to get her to go to sleep, my oldest daughter Millie, and she was in that stage where they just don't want to go to sleep and they're crying all the time and whatever. I can remember sort of waking up in the night, which was, you know, a miracle enough, going to Megan and saying, oh, I'll hold her. And we were sort of, we were swapping back and forth. It felt like every 30 seconds. I, I, you, I was just like, I don't know what's going on. I'm half asleep. I'm so angry that this baby is not sleeping right now. I can't control. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Megan, you have to have her. And then sort of 30 seconds later, Megan's like, oh, you have to have her. This, I just can't stand listening to this noise anymore. And so I'm like, okay, right, my 30 seconds are up. Back to you. And it was like, it felt like we were just back and forth, which is probably why she wasn't sleeping, to be honest, because she was just getting chucked around. Um, but we need to be filled again and again and again in constant communion with God. It's not a one and done type deal. When were you last filled with the Spirit? If we want to see God's power at work in our lives, we need to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounding in love, grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Christ may dwell in your hearts. Jesus needs to dwell or live in our hearts. And he needs, that means he needs to be in the place of affection in our lives. What's your affection towards? Our security must be in God's love for us and our affection must be towards Jesus. As Andy shared earlier. Being rooted and grounded in love. We need to be rooted in love. Rooted and grounded. I think that's quite a strong statement, isn't it? It's not just you need to be rooted in love. It needs to be you know, rooted. That's where you get your sustenance from. It's like you're drawing from that, your energy, your life. And grounded in it. It's what gives you stability. It's not just that you've got lots of energy to do stuff because you're rooted in love and I've got all this fantastic love of God, but actually you're grounded in it as well. It's the platform that means we can push off in confident humility. I know what God wants me to do. 
and I'm doing it to be obedient to him. Verse 18, may the strength, may have strength, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love. That's a four-dimensional love. Now, I think what, God, what he's saying is it's got a tangibility to it. It's not, to coin a phrase, some airy, fairy, floaty vibe, as Jimmy put it in that rap at the Christmas service. It's not just some thing out there that God's love. It's something tangible. It's got, it's got a width and it's got a height and it's got you know, a, a depth to it. So there's a sort of three-dimensional aspect to it. But it's, it's got this fourth dimension to it as well in that it's a tangible thing. It's an, it's an, you can feel it in some way. There's a tangibility to it. There's a congregational element to it. May have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is God's love. We can learn. People say, oh, I love Jesus. Why do I need to be part of a church? Well, there's lots of reasons. One of them is that you can learn from other people how much God loves you without you having to actually experience something. So praise God, I've never had to experience getting a four and a half thousand pound um, letter saying you owe me this money from the tax office. But I know God loves me enough, the same as he loves Cat and Dan enough, that he can just cancel that debt. That's not to say he always does that. If you've got debts, perhaps God's teaching you something else. But um, <clears throat> how to be wise with money. But it's like when I was growing up, and my brother isn't here, so it's a bit mean, really. But I'm the youngest of four. I learned very quickly to learn from others' mistakes. Okay? So I know that my dad, if I got arrested and put in jail with my friends because we were doing something stupid, I know my dad would come and get me. Out of all of my, all of the friends, my parents were the ones who would go and collect everyone. Because I, I knew, I know that they've got that love for their children. When I've seen my brothers make mistakes and my dad go, don't worry son, we'll sort it out. I, I, I don't look at him and go, well why doesn't he love me like that? I go, car, he probably does love me like that. That's fantastic. I don't need to, push that boundary to learn that, I can just know if I ever make a mistake, I know my dad has got my back. He will help me sort it out. So we don't need to repeat the same mistakes as everyone else, but we can learn from others' experiences with God, others' relationship with God, how much he loves us. Does that make sense? The getting arrested thing didn't happen that often. Um. <laughs> maybe it did um. <laughs> uh, verse 19 that you to 18 may you have the may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. What is he, you know, that's, that could be confusing, can't it? 
you've got to know something that surpasses knowledge. Well, how does that work, Paul? I think that this is where there's an experiential element to the Christian faith comes in. We're not a church that seeks experiences of God for the fun of it. We're not like, we want to have these miraculous occurrences because we love miraculous occurrences. We want to have experiences of the power and the presence of God because that teaches us about who God is in a way that you can't learn from a book. You can sort of get a partial understanding of it, but you can't fully learn it. You can't fully know it. The power and presence of God demonstrates his love for us in a way that surpasses an intellectual knowledge. I know my wife loves me. Now, I could point you to a few sort of artifacts or physical objects that say, you know, she signed a, a license to say she would be my wife. <laughs> that's, uh, you know, surely that's proof enough. Well, actually, lots of times that's not proof enough. Well, we've got children together. Surely that's proof enough. Well, lots of times that's not proof enough. But there's, there's something in my relationship with my wife that I know that she loves me. Now, I couldn't necessarily go, right, here's the key points. There you go. That's how much my wife loves me. But I know that she loves me. Because there's an experience, a shared experience of being in her presence, us sharing life together, that somehow communicates more than just a list of facts. God wants to communicate to us more than just a list of facts about himself. Now to him, verse 20, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Far more abundantly than all we ask or think. I'm going to, as I said, I'm going to follow up with Gareth. I'm going to just, I forgot to say this earlier. I meant to say it before I started preaching. If you prayed for yourself to be healed over the next week, test out that whatever it is, your elbow, whatever, see if you've been healed so that next Sunday you can come back and say, we prayed last week that things would be healed. I've been to the doctor this week and I'm no longer, I don't know, whatever it is that you've got going on. Um, he's able to do more than we ask or think. I didn't think to ask him to heal Gareth's leg as he walked down the corridor. That wasn't like my plan of action in terms of prayer. But I just think there's an interesting note here that says, according to the power at work within us. So in the situation, I'm sorry to use this again, but in the situation with Dan and Kat and this, this sudden appearance of this money, uh, owing this debt, it was God's power at work in someone else that did something more than they could ask or think. It's God's work at power in you is potentially the answer to, to more than someone is asking or thinking. Do you understand that? Perhaps God's doing something in you that is an answer to someone else's prayer. His power at work in you.
Then finally, verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I write at the top of every single one of my sermons, it's on my template, wax lyrical. Because I'm that kind of guy. No, because I want to be excited about God. And I want to communicate to you my excitement about Jesus. And sometimes I don't do a very good job of that. But I want to ask you, what do you wax lyrical about? If you don't know what wax lyrical means, it means to speak enthusiastically or to be excited about and communicate. To speak with excited words. As human beings, we're made to wax lyrical about stuff. We're made to have heroes. <laughs> I wrote that before last night. I went out with the street angels last night. And this guy I met, <laughs> um, he, I went to school with him and he'd obviously had a few um, things to drink. Um, and he was, was, we were trying to get him into a cab and get him home safely or whatever. And he turned to me and went, you're the hero of the world. I was like, I'm really not. Um, <laughs> But we're made to have heroes. We're made to want. Yes. That guy, he did it. It's amazing. Yes. She's achieved that thing that we've been wanting to do as a human race for years. We're made to have heroes. But if you... We tear our heroes down, don't we? David Beckham, idolised by millions, loved by all... You know, the men want him, want to be him and all this sort of stuff, you know. But we want to tear him down. Oh, maybe all this charity work is just to promote Brand Beckham. So that when his kids come, it's like, we want to tear our heroes down. Now, I'm not saying that he's necessarily a great hero, but um, he seems a nice enough guy from what I can tell. Um, but... There's something in us we go, but they're only human. They're, that's my hero, but really they don't quite cut the mustard. That's why we love fiction as well, because those heroes we can make as perfect as we like. Or we can give them matching flaws to us, so we go, oh, well, they've got the same flaw as me, so really I could be as heroic as them. That's not in my notes, but anyway. Um, so there's Paul's prayer. He prays that they would be strengthened, filled with the Spirit, rooted and grounded in love that Jesus would live in the seat of their affections, that they would increase in their understanding and experience of God's love for them, and that the fullness of God's love would be in them. And why does he pray these things? So that when he starts, which he's about to in chapter 4, talking about ministries and giftings and serving God, and then he goes on to talk about how to have a Christian home, what it means to stand for God and pursue God's will for your life, when he starts talking about those things, we're set up for success, not set up to fail. Paul does this so often. He marries up love and service to God. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit in chapter 12, and then immediately straight after he says, but all of that's rubbish if you don't have love. It's meaningless. In Romans 8... It talks about nothing can separate us from the love of God. And then a few chapters later in, in Romans 12, he's talking about, and in your service to God. It's so important. If you look, he's saying you must get this right. 
This has to be your starting position. I want to finish by asking three questions. Does the love of God satisfy you? Does the love of God satisfy you? What is your motivation for your service? And have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Does the love of God satisfy you? Or like Millie, do you wish it was mummy? When God comes knocking at your door, you go, oh, I wished it was going out with my mates and getting bevied. <laughs> Is that not a current phrase? <laughs> when the love of God comes knocking, do you wish, oh, I wished, I wished it was that, the husband I've been praying for, the wife I've been praying for. When the love of God comes knocking, you go, oh, I wished it was that ministry position or that promotion at work or that bit of recognition from someone. Yeah, God, I know you love me, but I wanted everyone else to tell me how great a job I did. Maybe it's oh, something sinful. Oh, yeah, I know, I know that you love me, God, but that's, that doesn't satisfy this this urge or this desire that I've got. It just doesn't seem to satisfy me. Well, ultimately, those other things that we turn to for satisfaction will turn to ash in our mouth. At the first bite, you know, whether you, your, whatever your view on the, the creation narrative, I'm sure as, as Eve took that first bite of whatever fruit it was, it's depicted as an apple, Historically, they say it's probably more likely some sort of fig, which is gross. Um, <clears throat> but as they as she bit it, I'm sure it looked good for food, and it's like, oh, what have I done? Have you ever done that? Bitten into a piece of fruit that looks amazing, and you sort of go, oh my goodness! Or <laughs> I won't go on about that. Drank some sour milk. That's gross as well. Um, and it all coats your mouth, doesn't it? Um, I'll tell you this for free. Those things won't satisfy you. Ultimately, when we say to something else, when we say to God, oh, I know you're trying to love me right now, but I need to do this because that's going to give me satisfaction. When you do that, ultimately you're saying, you're not really God, this is. Or I am. God knows best how to give your life and my life meaning and fulfillment. What is your motivation for service? I want to do great things for God. Why are you saying that? So that everyone will go, wow, you did great things for God. So you want them to look at you, actually, rather than God. We must be grounded in this love that Paul is talking about, and that must be our motivation for service. Because if you're not grounded in the love of God, you're heading for trouble. Our service to God must, must come from a place of humility before God and a love for him in response to his love for us. It has to be from that place of security in our relationship to him. 
and confidence in our status with him. You should never be serving out of a, I'm trying to, God will be pleased with me if I do this thing. Now, he might be pleased with you when you do this thing, but he's already pleased with you. So don't do that thing to try and make him pleased with you because he already is. We shouldn't serve out of a place of trying to ease our guilt. Oh, I messed up again and did that sin. Well, maybe if I sign up to an extra turn on the words rotor, that will be okay. It can't ever be, God, if I do this for you, then you'll do that for me. Or if you do this for me, God, if you give me that, you know, the the child I've been waiting for, the husband I've been waiting for, or the promotion I've been waiting for, then I'll do that thing for you. That's not why we serve God. And I'm not downplaying any of those things because they can be deep things. If that's your thinking, any of that is your thinking for serving God, and I'll finish soon, I apologise. We're a couple of minutes over. If any of that is your thinking for serving God, you haven't understood the gospel. Ephesians 1, which we read a few weeks ago, months ago, says, before the foundation of the world, he chose you in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know what you were doing before the foundation of the world, but I wasn't doing very much to make me worthy of being chosen. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? God has offered power to fulfill all that he's asked you to do. Why would we refuse the offer? In Luke 11, Jesus says, talking about the giving of the Holy Spirit, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts, you know, you wouldn't give, your son says, can I have an egg? You don't give him a scorpion, you give him an egg. If we know how to do that, how much more is he going to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Does the love of God satisfy you? What is your motivation for service? When were you last filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm going to pray for us, and then if you want to stay behind and be prayed for, there will be people at the front here, myself included, who would love to pray for you. I ask you to just close your eyes. Lord, I pray that the love of God would satisfy us. I pray that we would have a right motivation for service, that we would get in this place where your love has rooted and grounded us, that we might serve you from a good place. And I pray for you to fill us again with your Holy Spirit. I pray that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant us to be strengthened with the power, with power through your Holy Spirit in our inner beings, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that we may have strength to comprehend with all our brothers and sisters what is the breadth and length and height and depth and know the love of God, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of you, God. Now I ask 
that you're knowing that you're able to do far more abundantly than we, than we ask or think, according to your power at work within us, that we would glorify you in your church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.